As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. How's it going, everybody? This is Andrew McCullough from The Athletic here with Mark Carrig, also from The Athletic. You are listening to Beyond the Scrum, a show about baseball, which is still happening. The World Series, Game 1, was played last night, Mark, and Clayton Kershaw finally defeated the word narrative. Am I right? No, but you know what? He he threw good, man. He 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 got that slider going, and it was like, oh no, because the Rays swing and miss a lot anyway. And then now he's that you have Clayton yeah. Kershaw, you know, with his stuff intact, throwing pretty hard, and then breaking off sliders like that. And yeah, no, I don't think he defeated narrative. I wish he did, <laughs> though, Andy, because I'm a little over well, it, aren't you? I don't know. So we'll talk about. We're going to talk about the this. I don't. Uh, there's like a we, Kershaw is discussed in such a strange way in the postseason. It seems like people are unable to just like sort of call it what it is. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about Mookie Betts, uh, who probably shouldn't have been traded by the Boston Red Sox, <laughs> and the Tampa Bay Rays, one or zero. So, Ooh, uh, <laughs> like that. Well, so here's – so I've had to do like – not had to do. I've been asked to do, um, you know, a bunch of like radio hits and stuff like that, you know, uh, leading oh, up I'm to the big World deal. Series. I got a bunch yeah, of radio no, hey, hits, buddy. Catch me in oh. Vancouver, baby. Oh, Edmonton. Um, I, oh, yeah. No, I did uh, – <laughs> <laughs> did the yeah, Saskatoon, Ooh. Uh, you know, Newfoundland. I'm I'm huge in Canada, dude. I'm the Western to, try, provinces, baby. I love I'm that's an to, untapped market. I'm trying to move, man. I want to <laughs> I want to go outside again. Um, so you know, every time like when you're when you go on these things and and you just get asked, you know, like you know, Clayton Kershaw versus the narrative, and I, to me, like. I don't really know what exactly is the narrative that he can't pitch in the playoffs that he, Correct. you know, like that he chokes or so. It's like, yes. it's just, it kind of is what it is. It's not that he's a choker. It's not that he doesn't have, hasn't had success in the postseason. but like, look, the numbers are what they are. He hasn't pitched as well in the postseason in his career. Now there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think like when it's chalked up to like something, you know, that's like a, you know, a mystical sort of thing, it just, it just gets confounding, you know? Well, I, I, yes. First of all, I, I'm, I'm going to make a new resolution here on the Beyond the Scrum because I, I made the mistake of looking at our reviews 
couple days ago and somebody was all over me for yelling and dropping f-bombs and so i'm going to swear off of that no more yelling no more f-bombs what yeah I, that's I'm not like the whole point anymore. of the show yeah no no oh by the way the guy's like oh i love andy andy said great Craig, not so much he yells too maybe much it was so i'm Ganny. gonna stop maybe he was ganny dude ganny loves me that's true yeah no like no i think she's a fan i told you my, a fan. my family have have known who you are for 10 11 years and no one can pronounce your last name it's really <laughs> irritating like if my mother asks like how's mark karig one more i'm like mark or mom it's mark karig dude ernie like, ernie johnson he's had the same name or ernie johnson on the uh game seven pregame on tbs read a yeah. line from the story i wrote about the race or the Astros, rather, and like totally butchered my name, and my phone was blowing up from people from back home, just like, oh my yeah. god, they're still screwing it up. So same thing. But anyway, yeah. Um, oh yeah, when I was on the broadcast, buddy, with my great writing, yeah, <laughs> everyone else gets on gets mentioned on the broadcast when they break news, but I'm just such a good writer, buddy. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm huge in Edmonton. Um, but like, uh, <laughs> so back to Kershaw, right? Like, yeah. I think you were talking. I think you used, you used this term not too long ago, the take economy. Yeah, that's what it is, yeah. man. Like it's irresistible because it, you don't have to give it any thought at all. You see this number, right? And, and like you said, they are what they are. And you want to automatically assume he's a giant choke because people love to use that word choke. It's like sure. whenever people make a trade, like, oh, he got fleeced. And it actually <laughs> very rarely happens in baseball anymore where you actually get quote unquote fleeced. I mean, I realize that Austin Meadows and Tyler Glasnow are playing in this World Series, so it happens. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Mookie Betts trade later. Too. Yes, right. So it <laughs> happens, right? But um, I think not in the same way you see. But anyway, it's that take economy. Kershaw is too irresistible. I think you also said it recently. He's one of the few names in baseball that might get talked about on a place like First Take. Yeah, and so yeah. right away, like it's just like, you know, uh, the bonfire, right? Like it, just, you, it, get, it, it attracts all of these takes because he's such a great player. And so I think about this sometimes though, right? Like Kershaw is a pitcher. Clearly the sample in the postseason is going to be always smaller. And so you never are going to see that player in that stage. And if you do, it's probably luck. And I, and I think about like Derek Jeter, right? Great, po great player. Postseason, almost exactly like the regular season, but he played so much postseason baseball. That was like tacking on another regular season. Sure. So you saw exactly what he was. If Kershaw were to do that in the playoffs, I would suspect that he would be that. And if he weren't, uh, it would be a lot of luck. You know, like, I don't know. Well, it just... uh, he's thrown 183 postseason innings. Oh, man. I Yeah. I did not realize is that. Really? It, yes. Yeah, I mean, it is what it, they're there every year. Wow. Well, <laughs> they've been to the playoffs eight years in a row. I, I clearly he's a choker. Yeah. Then case closed. I mean, that's <laughs> well, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm arguing. You know, that's not what I'm arguing. But like, I, I, I just it's presented as like a mystical concept rather than just sort of a fact. A fact that he doesn't run from. You know, that he's said year after year. He fr like he's the one who frames it as you know I failed. Like he is the guy who says you know. Know, maybe one like after 2017 is like maybe one year you know i won't fail and we won't fail and we'll win one of these things you know he's the one who said last year you know like um that you know what was it uh it was uh you know maybe everything people say about me is true right you know with the postseason which like it's not 
-hmm. It's not. It's not. You know, he's had. I've covered. You know, even just in the last you know four or five years, several tremendous games he pitched in the postseason. And you know, I wasn't even there in 2015 when he, you know, pitched against the Mets in an elimination game on three days rest, and you know, kept the the Dodgers alive. So like, I just think there's so much nuance to it, and it just gets completely flushed out, and it's just like presented as. Uh, I don't know. It's like it's it's like presented almost by both sides in a way that's disingenuous. Yeah, you know, like when you when you say he's a choker, that's ridiculous. Right. But when you say it's a narrative, that says that makes it seem like it's not real. Right. Well, I I wonder. Like, so you're right about that, right? It gets presented in this like disingenuous, yeah, right? Because it's not completely reality. But like, he also participates in it, as you just mentioned. And I'm wondering, like, as someone who's dealt with him. I mean, you wrote that cool thing about him last week, so you know this guy. Why is he wired that way? Because, like, I don't think greatness as a player, you know, being wired to see the world in the way he apparently does, I, I don't know if that's a precondition, right? I think there are a lot of great players that don't necessarily see it that way, but why does that work for him from what you know and what you've gathered about this guy? Well, I mean, so elite athletes to start with are not wired like you and I. Clearly not. Right. Uh, Especially physically. Uh, (laughs) But even among elite athletes, like Kershaw's wired differently. I mean, even among, you know, the best in the sport, the way he behaves on a day-to-day, you know, minute-to-minute, week-to-week basis. I mean, um, you know, he's obsessed with every, every, basically, every major Kershaw profile that's been written over the years – uh, you know, fixates on two concepts, uh, you know, time and control, essentially. He's obsessed with maximizing his time and he's obsessed with maintaining control. And everything he does at the ballpark fix it, fits into those two silos, essentially. He doesn't waste, uh, you know, like he has his day program to the minute before games and he doesn't want to give up control of what's going on with him so like when he's on the disabled list right like when a player goes on the disabled list with an injury you ask the team okay when's he going to be back and they give you a timetable well kershaw got rid of timetables he was just like no one tell them when i'm going to be back i will be back when i'm ready essentially and his point like i got it he's like okay so if so if you say so i hurt my back and then you say i'll be back in four to six weeks and say I come back in seven weeks, everyone will wonder what took me so long. Say I come back in three weeks, everyone will say that I came back too soon. I, he's, I just want, he wants to be in control, essentially. Huh. And I think that with the postseason and the results, he kind of, it's beyond his control in a way. You know, he's had, uh, as you said, like he's had some really bad luck. He's had some bad innings. He's been he's also pushed. gone out there banged up and, and on short well, that's rest, right? He's, like he's gone. I mean, yeah, 2016, he was pitching on short rest with a, a herniated disc, right? You know, or recovered from a herniated disc, but with an injury to the extent that Andrew Friedman said after the season that almost every player in the sport would not have returned that year, and then he was pitching on short rest, and then he was coming out of the bullpen on one day's rest right. in a clinching game, which he got, he did on his own. Like literally, <laughs> I remember I reported this, you know, for a story where he went, he saw that Kenley Jansen was being asked to get nine outs 
he was talking with Chase Utley, who, and they were like, how are we going to finish this game? Because Jansen had never gone nine outs before. And Utley basically said, have you thrown your side, uh, you know, your bullpen session? And he said, no. And Utley said, you should go, you know, see, like, you should, like if you've got an inning, you should go talk to them. So Kershaw just basically told Rick Honeycutt and Dave Roberts, like, hey, I'm going to go try and get loose. And he just went and got loose and came down. And there was, like, a member of the training staff called up to the uh, you know, called up to the, the suite, the suite yeah. because Andrew Friedman and all his lieutenants are up there watching, right? And they see Kershaw walk out to the bullpen, and they're like, "Oh, you know, Dave, you know, Dave Roberts is like doing a deke." And the trainer calls and says, "You know, Clayton says he's going out there to get loose. We there was nothing we could do to stop him, <laughs> basically. You know, like that's who this guy is with a banged up back with on one day of rest after throwing, you know, a hundred you know, some pitches against a really good Nationals team. And so I think to present that sort of guy, you know, as someone who, you know, shrinks in the moment is ludicrous. Now, at the same time, though, like the results are what they are. Right. And there have been games when he has been, you know, relatively healthy and he has been on not short rest and he hasn't pitched well. And you just kind of have to live with him. So I think just getting back to, you know, the control aspect, I think he acknowledges that it's something that, you know, he's not going to be able to change. So he doesn't really spend a lot of time trying to change it. That you makes know? sense. He, he, yeah. He's willing to live with it because it's like, it's true. And you can make all the excuses you want. He's never done that, you know? Um, but I think he just, he understands that it's something that he's not going to be able to change until they win a world series. And so until they win a world series, he's not going to spend a lot of time, you know, fixating on what people are saying. He's just going to try and win a World Series. I, I, somebody, and I can't remember if I saw it on Twitter or if a buddy of mine texted this idea, but he's like, Kershaw's been so bad in the postseason that even though he's a surefire Hall of Famer, how can he be on the first ballot? And I was taken aback by that. Who said that? I, I, and that's what I can't remember if I saw that on Twitter or if it was one of my knucklehead buddies from home. <laughs> right. It could have been Frank for all I remember. I, I can't remember. <laughs> like, and I, and I don't want to like. By I the can't. way, and by the way, my brother's getting all sensitive about us name dropping him on here. I'm like, I don't. So I'm not going to put it on him. Why? No, that's because like that, he's that's like that George Carlin bit. It's like either my either my grandpa said that or a guy I met in the army. I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, same bit. Like. I can't remember now where it's from, but I remember just being like, this is dumb. This is dumb. Like, he's an inner circle. I hate, I hate that term, by the inner circle Hall of Famer, because if you're a Hall of Famer, that's what you are. But anyway, he is a first ballot, you know, Mount Rushmore yeah. type player. It's just it's ridiculous. And it's why I'm kind of amazed at how much time gets spent on this, because at the end of the day, he's probably, you know, the best pitcher of his generation or one of them. And uh, yeah. is, is there's an easy there's three trio. candidates and you can and you can choose between them, you know, him, Verlander and Scherzer. Basically. Right. Um, and both Verlander and Scherzer have not been, you know, lights out in the postseason. I think Verlander's like never won a postseason game or something like that. Yeah, but yeah. he's had lots like of a five ERA in the World Series or something like that, right? He's never won a game in the World Series. Did I say postseason. He's yeah. won a he's won postseason games. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, he's won a lot of postseason games. Uh, excuse me. Um, but like they've also pitched a lot of really good games, and they both won a World Series. So right. no one talks about you know the Justin Verlander narrative. No one talks about the Max Scherzer narrative. Um, partially it's because, you know, Kershaw's there every single year 
And because so many seasons have ended the exact same way, which is him on the bench in that just sort of position of agony that, you know, that is, is there, you know, he's just, he's very, he doesn't hide how much this means to him, I think. Uh, and I think that is something that really connects with people. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just, I, 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 I wish that people would just call it what it is rather than, you know, make it seem like, you know, it, it, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I don't know. I, I like, I just feel like the discourse on it is like, you know, missing the point almost. Well, like, so you won't do it. So I will go check out the story that Andy wrote. Um, the, the 22, oh, yeah. the 22 portraits, is it? Of, of, frames. Of 22 frames of the portrait of, of Clayton Kershaw. It's worth your time because I, I think once you read that, like if you're somebody who appreciates the guy anyway, this just adds another layer to it. And if you're somebody who, you know, is on that, this guy is, you know, a, a choker in the playoffs train, uh, give that piece a look uh, and get a sense for what this guy is. And, and you're right. It, it's like he... He won't hide from it, right? Like I think that's yeah. really admirable, and um, you know something you don't see that much, I guess, from from people of that level that have that kind of uh, struggle in, in such big, uh, you know, spots. And uh, you know, I, I think it does make it more relatable for sure. Like it, it is kind of yeah. cool, actually. And, and yeah, but there is no ending his narrative, right? Like it's uh, the horse is out of the barn at this point. No matter what he well, does, I, mean, I what don't if know. If they win if, the World know. Series, it's over. Well, like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he wins a World Series, but like they're still going to point because the results are still what they are. Okay. Yeah, but when was the last time someone brought up to you how Madison Bumgarner pitched in the 2016 <laughs> NLDS? Yeah. Well, never. Yeah. You know, it's true. Like That's it just it, once you win, it just it goes away. You know. Well, in fairness, Madison Bumgarner <clears throat> in the 2016 Wild Card game. Was it was that the wild card game? Wow, he he pitched a great game against you know whoever was on that Mets roster who hadn't been injured. <laughs> Look good wow. doing it though. Um, wow, Look good he, doing he, it. he destroyed that eighty six win team in the wow. wild card game. What a wow. what a heroic moment. Heroic, heroic. <laughs> um, yeah, I would also say too, like you know, uh, Tom Verducci talked to Kershaw. He did a story about. Um, kind of game five of the 2017 World Series. And so, I, like, during the winter, I had done something uh, talking to Alex Wood about that series against the Astros. And Wood in game four, <clears throat> you know, there was there was a lot of smoke about what the Astros were doing with, with sign stealing, mm-hmm. right? And so Wood was running uh, multiple signs basically every 10 pitches or so. Wow. Like, he was changing, you know, no one on base. You know, he was changing over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, there there were folks on the Dodgers who asked, you know, Kershaw to take the same precautions and he didn't want to do it because he just felt like it would be disrupting him and he didn't want to disrupt his rhythm for something for a threat that they couldn't that that they believed was kind of out there, but they right. they couldn't really put their wrap their arms around what it right, was. Right, right, right. You know, like they, they understood like, hey, there might be some shady stuff going on here, but they couldn't exactly like figure out what it, how it was affecting them. So Kershaw didn't. Uh, you know, didn't do it. Like he ran, only changed the signs when there was someone at second base. And Tom Verducci talked to him about it. It was the first time, I guess, Kershaw talked about it was this spring. And you go read that story. Like Kershaw does not want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. He's given a chance basically to say like, hey, are you mad that this team, you know, cheated to steal a World Series from you? And he just has no No interest interest. in, you know, doing it. He, He literally says like, we are not having this conversation right now. And it's not so much that he's be it's not that he's being rude to Verducci it's that he just does not want to revisit it 
-hmm. Like he lives within those five day windows of how do I get myself ready for my next start? And how does this benefit me to, how does this benefit me, you know, for my next start if I'm spending time thinking about this? And I think the postseason stuff is the same thing. How does it benefit me to try and change this conversation? Mm-hmm. with my words like it's really yeah. just his actions that can do it he i think he said somewhere he was naive about that stuff and, yeah. it, and it kind yeah. of goes back to your point if he's living in five day windows you're going to be naive about that stuff because you're not wasting bandwidth on that you can't control well i think i think a lot of people of it, were right? naive i think a lot of people were naive yeah i mean you darvish didn't use multiples either right you know, right i, I and, you know, Wood only did it because Wood admitted that he was already pretty paranoid about sign stealing to begin with. Right. So, you know, and, and he got kind of convinced by some staffers that it was a good idea. Uh-huh. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't think that's really a Kershaw thing. I think that's just kind of part of the problem that Major League Baseball had in general with the Astros scandal is that they just couldn't conceive of someone being that brazen. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. I, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, when you yeah. think about it, brazen's a perfect word. It's probably I remember why it still in twenty in twenty eighteen, you know, I a staffer for with a team mentioned to me, you know, something about them. He's like, you know, they're using a camera to steal signs and, you know, and like give them to the hitters at the plate when there's no one on base. And I was just like, what? How do you do that? That's a okay, you know, <laughs> whatever. Like I'm like, all right, well, I got to go write my notebook about this hamstring injury. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but, <laughs> but it's like yeah. one of those things. You're like, that doesn't seem possible. Well, but you know, like you know how it is though. Like it's one of those conspiracy theories you hear a lot in baseball, right? Like for, sure. for years and years, like going through Toronto. Like people were yeah. convinced that Rogers Center yeah. that it was like the this, man in white, y- right, right, or or yeah. you know who's standing where in the bullpen, that kind of stuff. Like it's right, right, you know, like. But yeah, that is pretty brazen, and and like I'd hear it, and like I don't want to say dismiss it because I don't like to dismiss anything. Sure. But I'd also think like, how could you? How the hell would you even prove something like that? How would you right, right. get you know get to that? And like at the end of the day, none of this gets out unless a player that was on that team cops to it. Unless yeah, Mike you know Fires you talks, is you, you be Ken Rosenthal and call Mike Fires. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do That's it. Step one. That's how you do it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, speaking of stories that Ken Rosenthal has broken, uh, I believe he broke the Mookie Betts trade this Ooh. winter. At the very least, was all over it. Mm. Um, man. How'd that work not- out? Not looking like the best deal for the Bostons, is it? You know what though, and someone I don't I I'm gonna blow this. I, I can't remember the guy's Twitter handle now, but look at that payroll flexibility though, huh? Look, I think that's good. a guy named Richard Stock. Yes, he's, tip of the cap. Has, well done. He has some. He has some uh, some good ones. Yeah, that was hold into my feed. That was uh, yeah. that was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, I mean, okay. So, like, obviously the Red Sox are getting dunked on uh, by both their own fans and, you know, really kind of the rest of the industry for trading away Mookie Betts. And I guess what what I'm wondering is, like, do you – is there a chance that this will scare teams straight into not doing this? Or do you, like, do you think that the industry as a whole, like, not people on Twitter, not people, you know, in the comment section, not people calling in to talk radio, 
but the industry as a whole will take something from this. No. And and I think maybe mm. if the the world were more normal moving mm-hmm. forward, then I would I could go along with that maybe a little more, but I just think when you've got revenues being what they are because of this pandemic yeah. and all of the uncertainty <clears throat> moving forward, it's the opposite. It's like I think all bets are off at this point yeah. because you just I don't know, man, like the level of uh, skepticism, fear, cynicism, even just about how this world is going to look just from a baseball industry perspective moving forward. Um, yeah, I I think it just opens the door for more things where you're just like, oh, man, this is terrible. Um, and that's what the Mookie Betts trade is at the end of the day, right? Like you, you cannot have a player who's this good uh, be moved in the name of like payroll flexibility or, 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 and then like having the gall to call it, um, you know, uh, uh, strategic, I think it was a word that, that Jim Henry <laughs> used strategic. Like what is the strategy in taking this all world baseball player that you were lucky enough to have and having him play for somebody else? Like what's the strategy in that? Like, Hey, let's take this great player that makes us pretty good and move him so that he can make somebody else pretty good. Like uh, it's, Ugh, it's terrible. But like, I think, unfortunately, given all the stuff that's going on, and uh, I think the reckoning that's sort of headed for this industry right now, yeah. uh, would you be shocked if you saw something else like that go down? I know I wouldn't be. I, so, what, okay, so what does that look like outside of, you know, Cleveland trading Francisco Lindor? Yeah. Um, I like the, 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 the Cubs, like, you know, DFA and Chris yeah, Bryant? I, I mean, mean, like, what, what does so it look like? Let's. Th- I'm glad you brought up DFAs. Yeah. There's going to be so many this off season. They're going to be like Gary Sanchez, yeah. right? Like who is going to make I think he made 5 million bucks, going to get a little bit more than that if he were to go through the system, but I mean he's coming off obviously a horrendous season, but you've seen what the upside is there and I think in the reg- real world, regular world, there's no way a player like that gets cut loose, but in this environment, given all like we're already seeing the layoffs coming, right? Like we're, yeah. uh, how do you not DFA that guy? So, and then you're going to be like, well, that's the same, what, $6 million, whatever. I mean, we're seeing massive layoffs of people. We're, I, I mean, yeah. these teams are really, really yeah. behaving like they're really hurting. So, uh, yeah, like, yeah, you know, uh, that Bryant and, and the Cubs and, and just the what, what might be like a lot of transition there. Like, that's what it looks like, right? I mean, yeah, uh, yeah it's, I hate to even conceive of it. But like, do you, is the Padres really cool Padres players that we're seeing kind of come up together? Like, you know, I, I wonder like, uh, do we get to see the full window of that, or do you have to hmm. play that game if you're AJ Preller of well, you know, got to move him when there's still control, otherwise the value proposition isn't as strong. So uh, I'm not saying that's what they should do or, or will do, right? But like when you ask what does it look like, the fact that these are like conversation points. Isn't yeah. you know that that's what it looks like. It's it's terrible. It sucks. But um, you know, like Lindor, right? Like you brought that up. Like it, it's always this <clears throat> countdown to like when is he going to be uh, you know a free agent and how much control does he have left? Because like, again, like it's all tied into do we move this guy or not? And and it's I don't know. I just I feel like what it looks like is we're going to have so many more of those types of conversations. I, I don't see yeah. it slowing down given all this stuff with the economic part of the game. Right. Right. I mean, maybe it starts, I mean, starts to look like the, you know, the Kluber trade, Mm. you know, where you got this like 
two-time Cy Young winner who's who's kind of damaged goods. You're unsure, and like you know, it's not like that deal really worked out great for either side. But you know, where you, you look at the return and you're like, what uh-huh. for him? You know, um, I, I I worry that there's going to be a lot of those moving forward. Yep. You know, where I guess what the the sort of public and just even our perception of what a player's value is is wildly different than how teams value those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Again, it just goes into like, uh, how are these guys going to behave in an extreme situation? Like, I think that's what is really the scariest part, right? Like, how far are they going to go? How many people are they going to lay off? How many good players are they going to like try to move on from just for the sake of like doing what they think they've got to do to survive and deal with, you know? And admittedly, it's, uh, you know, like, I- I'm not shy to like get on teams for not spending but i think in an environment like this like i get why they're having these conversations so i get it there's still businesses at the end of the day so you know it's not a good look and and like watching mookie do his thing in the postseason like in the world (laughs) like oh my god the last just even the last couple days really um it made me think of something else like so i don't know if mike trout is the best player on earth mookie is right there um, watching Mookie do this is like reminds me of how much we're missing getting to see Mike Trout do this in a scenario like this too. You know, yeah. Like, could you imagine like the Angels finally getting it together and then uh, the the ability to change the game in all the ways that Mookie Betts can do, Mike Trout can do also. And then you know we're deprived of that, and we're probably not going to see that. You know, unless they expand the playoffs, like you know, moving forward, and then maybe we get lucky and they luck into a spot and we get to see it. But like. Uh, you know, the fact that Mookie changes the game in so many different ways mm-hmm. is so much fun. And, and, yeah, you know, if I'm a Red Sox fan today, I, you know, like, I, I, I don't know if I can even like watch the rest of this series. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you bring up Trout, it reminds me of something that, uh, after the Dodgers won the pennant in 2017, I was talking to Farhan Zaidi, who was their general manager at the time. And he was saying that when he, to, when he took the job, when he and Andrew Friedman, you know, came over to run the baseball ops department, one of the primary things that they saw as their job was that they were basically the caretakers of Clayton Kershaw, and that they'd been like gifted by you know Ned Coletti and Logan White this generational talent, mm-hmm. you know, the best pitcher in the sport, whatever, and it was their responsibility to surround him with the sort of team worthy of like sharing a clubhouse with him, you know, to not waste the prime years of Clayton Kershaw. And it's just, you know, starting from the top down in Anaheim that they just haven't built a, like a winning ball club around Mike Trout. You know, it's like when, you know, you're, you through the draft and through your own development, but really like they drafted the guy and, you know, a year and a half later, like he was kind of a superstar. Um, you have the this Hall of Fame type player, and the fact that they just year after year can't surround him with you know enough players to get themselves to you know the playoffs. Let and and it's not like they're not spending. You right. know, it's just it's really really strange, and it's it's a shame for the sport. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's all I think about. And not to take away from Mookie, I, I think Mookie's just tremendous. Like. Wow, like you want to talk about the perfect combination of like really crazy baseball IQ, right? Straight up guts and then a pure athleticism. That's Mookie, right? And we've seen him display all of those things just in the last couple of days. But yeah, it it does leave you wanting more of it 
and when you think about it, there's not many people on this planet that can provide something like that. Mike Trout's one of them. And what, when was his last playoff appearance now? It's been... He played He played three games in 2014 against the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. I believe he had one hit. Like, that's just, it's ludicrous that that a player like that gets wasted. You try and like get a hit off Jason wasted. Vargas. And, you know, like you said, man, like the fact that they've had repeated failures to get it done. And that's a cool thing, uh, the, the story about Friedman and, and Farhan. See, yeah. Like, you know, I'm around the Mets a lot. That's how they should be approaching this with Jacob deGrom. Right, like, right. You know, like this is a generational player for your franchise. Um, right. You know, at the end of the day, I, I, it's going to be Tom Seaver one, Jake deGrom two. Right. And what have they got to show for it to this right. point? Well, the same thing that they got with David Wright. I mean, right. you know, it's like this happens fairly often. Yes. You know, like where teams that, you know, when you have a player like, Mookie Betts, you shouldn't trade him. You should build a World Series winning team around him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe maybe you shouldn't. But that seems to me, you know, to be the uh, you know to be the move. And you know, it's interesting. Like <clears throat> I remember, you know, at the time when after the Red Sox won the World Series in 2018, right? They were kind of like the one of the only teams spending that winter. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave that deal to Evaldi. Um, you know, they brought back, I think it was like Steve Pierce and, you know, maybe Mitch Moreland. I don't know, but they like kind of kept the band together essentially from that. Um, they gave Chris Sale, you know, a huge extension. And I remember just thinking like, man, they are spending a lot of money. Like, wh- like, is, are they going to use this as a way to trade Mookie Betts? Like that seems insane. They can't do that. Right. And then you look up, you know, a couple years later and that's what happens. God. Yeah. That's wild. And they may not be done yet. Right. Like, you, you know, Bogarts is right. always in the news as, Bogarts, a, as a guy that's yeah. going to get moved, you know, and you wonder if they'll think of that way, like even like a kid like Devers, as, as he, you know, kind of like rounds into becoming, you know, a great player. Like, is that, and that it just shouldn't be happening. Places like Boston shouldn't be happening. It should be happening anywhere, right? Like, I, I just, you know, there's something wrong with the sport, like as far as the economic setup when you're incentivizing teams to basically get rid of good players. <laughs> like, right. I, I mean, for, for no strategic gain except for uh, payroll flexibility. Like it's just, uh, you know, clearly, clearly not good for the sport. You know, it's interesting you bring that up, Mark, because I was watching the Rays last night and thinking <laughs> like, man, they could use Tommy Pham, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, okay. All right. We're not going to – the Rays – okay. We're we're not going to rip uh, the Rays front office. They obviously do a tremendous job. And what they have been able to do with their sort of financial handcuffs is very, very impressive. However, though, it does kind of present a difficult puzzle in like in what – you know, like, like again, I'm doing these radio things and, you know, I'm being asked like, oh, it's David versus Goliath. And I'm like, well, I mean, what if David is choosing to be David? Right. Now, there are some structural impediments. There are some structural impediments. And I'm not saying the Rays should have a $300 million payroll. Obviously, you know, they do not have the revenue streams that other teams have, right? But I just wonder, like, how much longer can baseball kind of have this sort of dynamic where – there's a team, you know, who who has like this, these just sort of built-in uh, restrictions, I guess, trying to compete. Like it's at some point, right? Like the market's going to come to them, and other teams going to start to behave like that, and that shuts out players from getting money, right? Well, so here's 
kind of like we were talking about narratives and Clayton Kershaw earlier. Like when I look at the Rays, right, and and, be, and clearly it's because they won a pennant. They're in the World Series, so they're going to be the focal point, and this is the conversation that's being had about them, right? Uh, they're choosing to do this. Is that good for the game? Um, people have been doing this for years, is the thing. And so the fact that it, I think it's almost unfair to put them in that spotlight in this moment because, guys, this has been happening for a good decade, right? Cleveland is operating this way. Oakland is operating this way. They're making playoffs, okay? Uh, they have a chance to win the World Series. So, uh, you know, like, I get it, right? Like, it's. I, I just think it's unfortunate that if you're them and, like, you never get attention, now that you do... You're getting pinned as the personification for this thing that could be a negative force for the sport, an argument, by the way, that I get and can kind of agree with in some ways. But I don't think it's fair just because the it's not, it's not like if they win the World Series, well, all the owners are going to start, you know, uh, trying to operate like the race. They already are. Like so many of them already are. The Minnesota Twins operate that way to a certain extent. Like, I mean, it was a change a little bit. You know, Donaldson's a big expenditure for them. Um, but, you know, historically, that's how they've operated and, and you know, built winning teams that way. So, no, I, I just don't think it's fair to, like, have Tampa Bay be the standard bearer for it just because they want a pennant, just because it happens to be them in the spotlight right now. Because guess what? Everybody's doing this. Everybody so how do you is. how do you correct it? How do you how do you that's change a great that? question? I I don't know because like how do you tell people how to run their businesses? Yeah. Right. Well, Mark, like, we live in a capitalist society. So I mean they know? they should they should be able to run it how they, they want to I guess you put a salary right. floor in there. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what you know, like Well, you're not you're not getting a floor without a cap, buddy. Well, yeah, right. So that's uh, <laughs> you know that's, like that's how houses work. So <laughs> you gotta put a roof on but, this. But you thing. know, and this is the thing, like, I mean, is it time to do that? Like, I mean, it, should they just cap baseball? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, it's, and that's a crazy thing to say. And, and you know, I don't think it'll ever happen just because historically, uh, you know, the sides are too entrenched, uh, you know, for, for there to be movement there. But, like, I don't know what the solution is. Because, see, the thing with the Rays is, yeah, they, they part, part of him chooses to be this little engine that could, right? That that's what they're choosing it. It's not, but you know, not all the way, right? Like there are the impediments that you talk about. They still play in a terrible yeah. ballpark. They still play uh, in a location wise. location wise. It is like, Thank you. you know, you can't like, it's, it's difficult to get there. Aesthetically. Um, it's not, thumbs up. Not, well, no, aesthetically it's terrible work wise. What are you talking up. about? It's the best, it's the best ballpark in baseball. This is annoying. The, the It's great. Have you ever had a bad time at the trop? This is annoying. No, Andy, Andy. <laughs> oh, no, I love going to Pittsburgh and looking at the bridge. I yeah. do. The trop's great, man. The t <laughs> you want to go on a bridge, drive across the Sunshine Skyway on your way from Tampa to St. Pete at 2 p.m. That's a good time. Just give me a second. I'm trying to remember. I'm not going to drop F-bombs and yell on here anymore. Uh, <laughs> trop's fine. The trop's fine. Yeah. You can get a ham sandwich at the media dining. It's just a nice ham sandwich, just cold cuts, you know? Uh, you know what? Look, the trop, and we, you know, this is one of those listicles that we talked about and never did because they started playing baseball again. But if we did a ranking of best press box setup in baseball, the trop is right there. 
Oh yeah, like yeah, working one is oh my that god, sells Twix bars. Dude, that you just pay great. for with a dollar. Yeah, it's great. You, you get know, a Twix. Dukes making sure everything's fine. Like I mean, like they have. It's a good setup, man. It, yeah. it is, but. Uh, I, anyway. I will not call it the best ballpark on the planet, as you well, seem you're to. An idiot. Uh, well, that's not nice, Andy. I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna yell. I'm not gonna yell. Peace. Serenity now. Yes, oh, everything's good. All right, I'm recentered. But yes, the Rays. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think that's fair to make them the like poster boys for this, just because so many teams are already operating this way, and it's like I, I get that we have to like scrutinize. <laughs> things when we you know especially when they're in the spotlight but like why can't we just celebrate the fact that these guys play their asses off that they've put together a team of 28 good ball players that yeah. all of them get used and like that's not that much different from the dodgers right the dodgers are built the same way it's, it's oh yeah no in, in terms of in terms of like organizational philosophy it's like it's there's a lot of similarities yeah you know? man a lot of like i mean you know that the, the rays used all 28 of their guys in 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 the last series to win that seven game series. And, you know, and it wasn't, you know, most of those guys were actually doing something. Like, it, you know, it wasn't like some, you know, rest the catcher because we're getting blown out kind of thing. Like, they're, you know, these are pieces that are all useful. And the Dodgers are the exact same way. And, you know, I think that should be celebrated. Like, yeah, it sucks that there isn't a star there. Like, I think that doesn't help the game. Um, but, like I, I don't know. Like these guys are operating in the circumstances that, that they've got to operate within, and I think they've done it in a remarkable way. And, and you know, I wrote about this the other day too. Like it, they get, there's a one-dimensional portrait painted about the Tampa Bay Rays that I feel like, yeah. and whenever I see that happen, like I get suspicious because it can't possibly be they're just a bunch of dorks using the analytics to gain an edge because they <laughs> yeah. all do yeah. right all yeah. like pretty much every team does that so it's got to be something else going on here where they keep finding success and you know shock of shocks they've got a killer culture there where you can make a mistake and it's not the end of the world and like we've seen tension kind of pop up in lots of places i think the yankees included where you're trying to like use analytics, gain an edge, but then there's an element of the people side of that that maybe isn't as tight as it needs to be, and you end up with things like game two of the of the uh, you know of the postseasons of the LDS uh, yeah. getting hyper scrutinized because people are picking up on that tension, you know, as 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 J Hap, Aaron, yeah, all that yeah. stuff went on, so. The Rays are doing this stuff and they've taken this, what would be a weakness, right? Playing in this market where nobody's paying attention and this ballpark that no one wants to go to. They've made it a strength because they can try some things and fail. And, you know, honestly, if you can do that, you're probably going to find a lot more good ideas than bad. And that's what they've done. Well, don't you think part of that, though, is having a bunch of guys who don't have any, who aren't making money? Yeah, absolutely. And, and well, part of it is that. Part of it is, also, the way those people are treated when they come in, part sure, of that is the sure, scouting. Sure. Like, I mean, I, I wanted to yeah. emphasize it in that piece. The Rays scout really well. Yeah, they they yeah, do yeah. their homework on the guys they go get. Like the, you know, it, you can scout quote unquote by looking at like, you know, velocity numbers, break, you know, break span, whatever. You could do that. But if those aren't the types of people that you think can fit and deal with, like not playing every day or deal with, mm -hmm. hey, like look, Ryan Yarbrough. Right, he's a yeah. starter. He's a bulk guy. He, yeah, last night he's a bullpen guy. If you don't have guys that can deal with that, 
but they have all the raw tools. I don't know if you have the same kind of cohesion as a team that you see with Tampa Bay, and, and they have that because they scout really, right. really, really well. So, right. um, you know, that kind of thing matters. It, it's very So, yeah, they, they're able to marry it all. And what ties it together isn't the analytics, which is what everyone wants to paint them as. It's the culture. <laughs> I mean, look, they do that too. Like, it's, let's not like pretend that they don't. They're, they've been forerunners, you know, in that movement, and and they've stayed ahead to their credit. But I, I honestly think, like, when you think about, you said this. Remember, we're talking about brain drain over there. Yeah. Look at all the people that have left. Friedman included. Yeah. Heim Bloom. Uh, look at all the managers and coaches James that leave Click, there. Yeah. James Click. Baldelli, right, you know, uh, Derek Shelton, on and on and on. Yet they keep rolling, and it's because they've got a culture over there. What even is analytics at this point? Yeah, like that's the other thing, right? Like it's like what, (laughs) what, what is, what is it? I, I I don't even know any. Like it still gets treated as if like uh, it is some kind of like separate entity that is encroached on baseball when really, right, it is. Part, that's like baseball without analytics is like baseball without scouts. It's like baseball without, right. you know, uh, without coaches. Like you, you just, you can't even, you know. Well, so like the other night, right, in game, um, yeah, I guess it was game seven of the of the LCS, right? So the Dodgers started Dustin May. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they had Tony Gonsolin as like the bulk guy, right? And so, you know, like, so May, it was basically being an opener. He had started game five. The idea was he would pitch like one inning, right? So May doesn't pitch very well. He gives up a run, right? Gonsolin comes in next, doesn't pitch very well, gives up a run or two. And, you know, it's, there's sort of like this, well, you know, they're trying to do the analytics, you know, they're outthinking themselves, they're outsmarting themselves, this, that, and the other thing. And then Ken Rosenthal is on the broadcast and is basically like, so here's the deal, uh, they wanted Gonsolin to, f- to get 15 outs, and they thought the best way for him to get 15 outs would be to not face Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman, and Marcelo Zuna twice. So he would come in, in the four- against Travis Darno or whenever that first inning ends, and then he could maybe try and get five innings with only facing those three guys once. Like, is that analytics or is that just, like, strategy? Right. Like, is that just, like... Looking at the opposing lineup, being like, okay, how can we beat these guys? Mm-hmm. You know, and like, yes, I get that. You know, you're throwing guys out of whack, and you know, you're asking you know guys to do things that aren't routine. This, that, and the other thing. They're all grown ups. Yeah, they're all adults. The, the point they're allowed. They're allowed to be asked to do something a little different. <laughs> how little do we think of these athletes if we think they can't adjust? Right. Everyone's like Dustin May didn't find out he was starting. Until 1 p.m. today? When was he? Okay, if he had. What did he. What do you think Dustin May woke up on game seven thinking? Like, oh, I'm going to go see a movie tonight. I don't have anything to do. He knew he was going to pitch. And he knew who he was going to face. He was going to face Ronald Acuna. He was going to face Freddie Freeman. And he was going to face Marcelo Zuna. And it was either going to be the first inning or the fourth inning or the seventh inning or the ninth. Mm-hmm. So this idea that he's told seven hours before he has to take the mound, that that's like not enough time to prepare. How little do we think of the athletes? Yeah. Well, that's... How, like seriously, how infantilizing do we have to be about these people? <laughs> They're grownups. They know how to do this. Like, and this gets into just this idea that everything is the manager's fault. Everything oh, is the GM's yeah, fault. Like, yeah. and, and yes, like, in October, right, 
like in October for managers, this is the tactical portion of the exam. They can make mistakes that can have really, really significant consequences. But not everything that goes wrong within the course of the game is the manager's fault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so Dustin May not pitching particularly well in the first inning, sure, you can blame Andrew Friedman and his analytics department. You You can blame whomever. Or you can just say, well, he was a kid who didn't have it and gave up a run. He didn't pitch well. Mm-hmm. Like, which one do you think is more likely? Right. Well, this gets back to your original point that started that. And those are great points. Analytics, right? Like, I almost, like, try to steer clear of using the word because it is so loaded now. Nobody knows what that is when they read it. They just know that it's become the easy enemy. When something went wrong, it's because the analytics people got involved. It's the analytics that did this. It's the analytics that did that. And oftentimes, it's really what you're talking about. The player needs to execute on the field. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's become just such an easy boogeyman. It's kind of tired. Like, I think the whole ripping the manager GM thing has gotten tired because it, it does, like, take away from the fact that the players are the ones that are playing. They're the ones that are throwing the pitches. They're the ones that are hitting the pitches. They're the ones that have to execute. And like, that's why we're tuning in to see if they can or not. It's just, you know, what, what gets lost in it, I think there's two things. One, whenever something that looks like it's been analytically driven blows up, there's almost like this 100% certainty that doing it the old way was going to be successful. Well, guess what? You don't know that either. Right. Like there's no there's no such thing as certainty if you do it the other way. There's just, you just don't know. And the other thing is, you know, that gets lost is when people are making calls like this, what are we really talking about as far as like the margins of difference, right? Like how much, for instance, did the Yankees get better by having Davey Garcia opening a playoff game rather than having Jay Happ start it? Whatever that number is, I can guarantee you it isn't very much. You know, and that's like actually talking to people in that organization in the aftermath of that. Like they're like, these are marginal calls, all of them. Right. So, but they always get treated in the public discourse as if, you know, instead of talking about increasing your chances of winning by 3%, which is what's probably more real, it's sure. more like 50%. Like yeah. that's how it gets talked about. And it's right. not it's true. It's not true. Well, there's a general, there's a general thread of like anti-intellectualism when it comes to baseball and, you know, all sports deal with this in, in various incarnations because the games, all of them are fundamentally different than the ones we grew up watching and loving. I mean, every time I watch a football game, every time I watch a football game on second and three, I am mystified as to why the team isn't running the ball. Like, <laughs> why are you not running the ball? I, the, I basically only watch football to yell, run the ball at the TV screen. All I want to see is them run the ball. They never run the ball. I love running the ball. Yeah. They should run the ball more. Anyway. It's a funny thing getting old, Andy. It is, man. I got gray hair and I just love the running game. Screaming uh, at the TV to run the ball. <laughs> run the ball. It's third and one. Run the ball. Why are you throwing? Anyway. Um, but like when you, you, you talk about, you know, the margin of like how much, how, how much is gained or whatever, right? In game two of the LCS, Tony Gonsolin started. Right. And he pitched three like kind of perfect innings and then, uh, you know, kind of got shipwrecked in the fourth and fifth. Mm -hmm. Right. And no one, because everyone just said, oh, Gonsolin didn't pitch well. No one said the Dodgers set him up to fail or the Dodgers overthought it or this, that and the other thing. 
you know. And but the Dodgers have determined that Gonsolin is really most effective. He, his effectiveness takes a dip after about seventy-five pitches. That's about what his threshold is. So for Game Seven, they took what they'd seen with their eyes, the eye test, and said, "How can we best utilize his seventy-five pitches?" Well, the way to do that, how can we gobble up as many outs as possible with this? Well, you do that by missing the three best hitters on their team. Mm-hmm. So how do you neutralize those guys? Well, let's take one of our other best pitchers and have him face the three best hitters on their team. Now, like, you have to execute it, right? Like, it has to work. But, like, it makes sense. It's very – it's, like, it actually, it's not even complicated. No, it's not. You're just like, okay, so here's a number, right, 27. We got to get to 27. Mm-hmm. This guy can give us 12 to 15. How do we get him to 15 and make sure it's not 9? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You, you, there's no, there's no rule to determine the order in which this has to happen either. Like that's, yeah. it's funny. It, it is a study and how hard it is for people to break through just what we're used to, you know, like it's, it's, it's so, di- it's like, <laughs> like, I hate to use this comparison because I know this guy drives you up the wall, but you know, when, when big brain Jeopardy James got on his run, like that it guy was, doesn't drive me up a wall. Just you honking <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> You know, on Twitter, you being like, you know, who'd be a good candidate for this GM job is the Jeopardy. Guy. I said team like, president, but whatever. Uh, like, you know, but the fact that he jumped all over the board, like, you know, instead of like going, uh, oh like yeah, one, didn't that drive people crazy? It drove people nuts, <laughs> yeah. and and it yeah. made me laugh because it's like, where's the rule that says you have to go from two to a thousand in right. order? There isn't right. one. He right. went hunting for the daily double, and you know what? Right. The strategy worked, but he still had to know what the answers were, right? The strategy only takes right. you so far. You have to like actually have your, your you have to execute, which he did right. in that game. But like, so it reminds me of baseball. Like we, people freak out because it's, you know, it's not this preordained order in which we're all so used to, but there's actually no rule that says you have to do it that way. So if you're right. the Dodgers, that's smart. And it is putting him, like you said, in the best position to succeed at the end of the right. day. Well, I get it. You know, I think there's a difference between making like a strategic argument and an aesthetic argument. Yes, because I 100%, think like 100%. from an aesthetic perspective, do I want to see openers or do I want to see, you know, Jack Morris, John Smoltz, you know, uh, Scherzer, Granke, you know, Clemens Schilling, yes. like obviously mm-hmm. that's what you want to see, right? That's what, that's the, the fun, that's the good stuff, yes. right? But that's, an aesthetics and strategy don't always coexist. I mean, watch the Rays play. They're not particularly fun to watch. Mm-hmm. They do some, they have fun moments. But like minute to minute, they're kind of a drab team. You know, they miss a lot of bats. They don't put a ton of balls in play on on their own offensively. You know, like I'll, but the defensive side, I'll win. give them credit for it. They're fun to watch when they're when they're in the field. I'll give them that. Well, yeah, but the ball's never in play, which is fine. Mm. It doesn't have to be in play. But I'm not saying it's like fun to watch. Strategy. I, all I'm saying is strategy and aesthetics do not have to you know intersect. Right. And there is there's an argument you know over the you know over the. Uh, in, for the greater good, should the sport care more about aesthetics? Probably, but like in the nitty gritty of the playoffs, who cares? Just win the game. Right, right. I think you know. I had a friend that was talking about this, like because I've been saying that the quality of ball throughout most of the year wasn't very good. Right, we've very talked bad. about that here. Very bad. But then when you go to the playoffs, all of that gets overshadowed by the stakes, and I think that's the point you're making there too. Right, when we can talk about aesthetics all we want. Once you get to this point in the year where it's the stakes are just so outsized, none of that stuff matters as much. At least not right well, now. 
like when you watch, you know, the Braves make like toot blands or whatever in the LCS, like Ooh. during a regular season game, you know, in June, you just be like, oh my God, this is just garbage. Like, can anyone here play this game? <laughs> but like in the postseason, you're like, wow, like what a monumental mistake. Like that's a, that's a, a game changer. Mm. You know, it's just, you're right. Like the setting really it changes. changes. Yeah. The, the setting really like kind of enhances the, you know, what, yeah. what's going on. Dude. And it hit, look at the inning last night, the double steal. Uh, yeah. you know, Mookie scoring from third. And by the way, what a throw by Yandy Diaz. Like, yeah. I mean, I think yeah, that got point. overlooked. Like, Yandy Diaz knew where he was going with that ball, okay? Decisively, too, by yeah. the way. Like, no hesitation whatsoever. This is a good ball player being smart. He's yeah. off balance and still executes a throw in which he had a chance to get the best base runner on the planet. Like, I mean, he beat that throw. Like, he got in there barely, and like it was, like, I don't know. I looked at that plan. I was like, "Dang, that's awesome!" Like, and with these yeah. stakes and that stage to execute that way, great base runner, heads up play at first base, um, you know, athleticism on display, dude. That was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. So yeah, to that point, like it's it's the stakes just enhance it so much, and it helps you like see past the warts too, which I think is the fun part. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Mark, this was a fun one. Uh, we will be back, I guess, next week. The World Series might be over. What do you think? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's going to be over. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I want to see it go deeper because it's always fun that way. But, boy, like, the it, the Dodgers have spoiled people because they're so good all the time that I think people forget really truly how good they actually are. And the thing that I keep coming back to is when you look at their, like, run differential, right, this year, you're the 27 Yankees. Like they're they're right there yeah. together, and and last night they freaking looked it, and and a lot of times they look it. Okay, not every time because it's baseball, uh, but a lot. I mean, but they look it a lot. Okay, yeah, like, you should you should watch them more often. But yeah. see that, the, <laughs> you know, that, that's another episode, I guess, because like because I don't watch them as often as you do, obviously, or have yeah. in the past. So no, I don't have it's, the same reservoir are, of comparison. They are so, but supremely talented. Uh, yeah, like that's so that's they what are, I get fixated on. When like, it when it clicks, you're there's not a way to defeat. Like them. last night. Basically, like, when it clicks, I mean, it's just it's hard to make it click. You know, it's hard to it's hard for baseball baseball's teams to hard. Play. But like, yeah. but last night, holy cow, holy cow, yeah. like that, what a yeah. team! So I, yeah. it's, but I end up watching them, and that's what they look like when I tune in. So maybe sure. I'm just biased, but you know, like I, Pedro killed me the other day because uh-huh. like I this was before the LCS, and I was like, man, Pedro, what are they going to lose like two more games this year? You know, he's like, oh, you're so wrong, man. You're so wrong. And of course I was wrong because like, (laughs) but, but the point is that's how much of an impression I feel they leave with me. And maybe it's because I don't see them in that granular level that you guys do. But I mean, because I see the talent and then more often than not, when I put them on, they play like it, like they did last night. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I, I think I tweeted something like this in game six, maybe of the, of the LCS, just like when their offense is rolling, I don't know how like, you wonder how it ever stops. Right. right? They were up three, nothing in the first inning and then they didn't score another run. <laughs> like they'll do, they'll do that from time to time. Yes. <laughs> you'll just, you'll be like, wow, like they're going to, you know, win this game by 15 runs and then it'll be three, one in the ninth. Um, yeah. well, but that's baseball. It's a hard game. Well, as Pedro said on that Twitter live, sometimes they hit like shit. So. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they don't hit. Yeah, sometimes they don't. Like I think, and so I think the matchup tonight's really interesting because they don't really have a starting pitcher. You know, Gonsolin's going to be kind of going. Uh, you know, maybe one turn through. They're going to kind of be you know bullpenning it 
all the way through. Uh, and then they're facing, you know, Blake Snell. I don't think Snell's a particularly uh, good matchup for the Dodgers. Yeah, we really, because um, I don't, like, uh, I'll be honest. Like, I see it the other way. And maybe it's because I've seen a bit of Snell for a while. Like, uh, I, I just think he hasn't been right command-wise. And that's what I'm saying. You know, his stuff that's, is so oh, good. Oh, sorry. I mean, it's not a good matchup for the Rays. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The no, it is not I a good matchup. I foresee him having, you know, five or six walks and four or five. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's why I think we saw how, how Kevin Cash played it last it. night. He has to yeah. know that he'd be lucky to get five out of five innings out of Blake Snell tonight's the high end. He's going to have to use those real relievers tonight. Right. And the fact that he didn't use them last night was a tell that, to me anyway, yeah. that he he absolutely knows that he needs to protect his guy tonight. So yeah. I didn't hate Cash trying to push Glasnow through. I didn't through. either. I didn't, either. I didn't hate it. I get it. I get, you know, like Brandon McCarthy, uh, you know, noted Twitter guy, uh, you know, <laughs> tweeted at me that I was basically an idiot. Oh, um, did he? <laughs> More, I mean, he was basically like, you know, I was kind of making a joke about how, like, I base all my opinions on third time through the order based on how the guy did, <laughs> right. you know? Because, like, when Zach Greinke gets a chance to do it, everyone's like, Dusty, man. Dusty's right. just got the magic. That's right. Roll the and dice. Then when, and then when, you know, Kevin Cash trusts a guy with much better stuff, you know? <laughs> it's like a much younger, much better stuff. It's like, what are they doing? What are the Rays doing, man? <laughs> It's just like we're just so outcome. And I was just basically pointing out like we're really just outcome dependent on how we assess these decisions. Right. And he was like, well, no, career high in pitches. Um, you know, their bullpen's really good, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I mean, m- maybe. I, I also think that there's probably a, a, a penalty to exposing your bullpen, you know, uh, your elite bullpen Correct. guys over and over and over Ask again. Ask the Yankees about that. Asking, yeah, I mean, I base so much of this, though, on like how teams played against the Astros. And so yep. it's kind of difficult to – uh, it's kind of difficult, though, in retrospect, to draw larger lessons out of right. that. But I, I still think it makes intuitive sense. That's what I you always know. thought watching, you know, the Yankees and the Astros. Like, I remember in game two of the ALCS last year, like, Boone kind of bullpened it. Mm. And everyone was like, Aaron Boone hit all, like, just clicking all the right buttons. Like, Aaron Boone did it. And I was like, they're going to lose in six because they're going to ask these guys to come back day after day after day. And the third look through in leverage, one of them's going to blow it. Right, and right. Well, I, I, I went up to Zach Britton after that game six in Houston last year. Yeah. And one of the first things out of his mouth is like, we're relievers for a reason. Yeah. Exactly your point. So, you know, like, yeah. that's why I didn't hate it either, by the way. Like, look, Gosh, yeah. yeah, because like he pushed Blake Snell uh, in, in their last series past 100. Um, right. And like, look at what the Rays did early in this season when, I think everybody in the game was scared that guys were going to get hurt, right? Because you, sure. you have the fast ramp up and all that stuff. Right. Tampa Bay was super conservative right. about how they used their starters, even though they had him in pocket. And, and, and so they were limiting their counts. And some of it was like, you know, in Snell's case, like he just, he just throwing too many pitches and was getting out of games early. But their bullpen usage was so high the first month. Yeah. Like, I think they let all of baseball innings thrown out of the bullpen just because they were being crazy conservative with their guys. I think Morton got dinged up too. So that added yeah. to it. But like, they were ramping up for this. So like when you get to this yeah. point and you've been conservative and you've taken care of these guys, why not? Especially when you know that you're going to need to lean on that bullpen the next game. I think it's marginal. I don't think it's, you know, maybe I lean, maybe I do actually lean more towards taking him out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're going to stick with someone, you know, stick with the guy who throws a hundred miles an hour uh, and, you know, has like, 
uh, you know, and has given up like what, you know, one run at that point, mm-hmm. two runs, mm-hmm. you know, and is pitching fine and didn't exactly get dinged around. No. That run, you know, it was like, it was basically like Mookie Betts wreaking havoc on the bases, making an incredible play. And then, you know, Will Smith kind of having a jam shot in center field. You know what? By the way, like that's credit to the Dodgers too. Like for being yeah. doing their homework, because like yeah, bad scouting. Cause yeah, dude. Wrong. Like I mean, Glasnow did not hold those guys. He, he took a while to get. Like I think his times of the plane weren't very good last night, and like they were yeah. all over it. They, and then they had the right guys on the right person on the base to deal yeah. with Mookie. So credit somewhere to them. in the that suburbs of Kansas City, Rusty Koontz was like, yeah, hell yeah, player. <laughs> exactly. All oh, player. <laughs> All right. This was a fun one. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Please rate and review us uh, You know, on iTunes. Give Markup a negative review for his lack of swearing today. And we will be back next week.